actually, you might want to put a, a bookmark or a finger or page turn or something in two places this morning. Our main text is going to be, of course, in Acts chapter 9. And so Acts chapter 9 is where we're, we're looking at, we're reading through and we're studying. But um, if you've got a bookmark or a piece of paper or something, you might also want to put a bookmark into Galatians chapter 1, uh, around about verse 15. Uh, because we'll be reading that together with our Acts 9 reading, but also referring to it a little bit. So um, that's Acts chapter 9, our main text. And then if you want to hold a place in Galatians chapter 1 this morning. <clears throat> All right. Okay, so um, I don't think it's any surprise to any of you um my my children are weird and i'm pretty sure that's kirsten's influence it couldn't possibly be mine uh but we one day uh kirsten was explaining to silas about caterpillars and butterflies how caterpillars become butterflies and transformation in there so silas plays this game at our house now where he pretends to be a caterpillar and then turns into a butterfly but his transformation into a butterfly transforms into uh, quite a unique butterfly. His butterfly has rockets on it. Uh, and then he races around the house uh, like this uh, turbocharged butterfly. Uh, so it's a, a little bit unusual butterfly, but uh, that's what he does. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. We read this last week as our, our call to worship. And perhaps when we're familiar with it, it says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And it's that, uh, it's that, um, uh, that, uh, that verse which speaks to us of the great transformation that God does in us, that metamorphosis that comes, which is you know, why that idea of the butterfly and the, the caterpillar come together, that metamorphosis, the the transformation that God brings in our life is um, quite remarkable and, and radical. It is a real change. It is, in fact, kind of like Silas's turbocharged butterfly. Is that when God transforms us, it's, yes, it's something entirely new, but it's something just remarkable and completely different and something with with a great deal of power and, and wonder in it. It is truly an amazing and remarkable transformation that God brings in us. And Saul is an excellent example of how God transforms us and the change that God makes within our lives. We saw last week, as we looked at the beginning of chapter nine, the amazing conversion story of Saul and how God comes to him on the road to Damascus and he sees that great light and, and, and everything changes for him at that moment. Now, as we come to this portion of Acts chapter 9, the middle part of it from verse 20, we see just how amazing, just how, if you will, turbocharged this change is in the life of Saul. Now, as we look at this and as we, we see what happens in Saul, um, remember that though Though Saul's conversion is remarkable, and, and as we, we look at his life and we think about our life, our, 
our conversion experience may not be as dramatic. You know, so some of us, our conversion to Christ was, was a lot more gradual, if you will. Maybe we grew up in Christian homes or, or maybe when we came to Christ, we didn't come in a Christian home, but it wasn't this, this remarkable change from a, a past full of vile and evilness and, and change. So maybe our, our experience of salvation isn't as dramatic or as, as drama filled as souls or as others, but the effect, what happens in all of us, whether it's dramatic or slow, the effect is the same. So what happens in Paul's life is the same as what happens in my life as a person who was born into a Christian family, who grew up and who learned early about Christ and came to Christ early in my life. So let's read. As I said, we're going to read here from Acts chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 20. I'm going to read to verse 22, and then I'm going to turn to Galatians chapter 1. Okay, so uh, let, let's start. Acts chapter 9 and verse 20. Immediately, he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the son of God. <clears throat> then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this, this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now we're going to turn to Galatians chapter one here in verse uh, 15, because Paul adds some detail here about what goes on. So Galatians chapter one, verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me in through his grace, called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. Now let's come back to Acts chapter 9. We'll come back to that and refer to that as we go through. Acts chapter 9, verse 23. Now, after many days, which is what Paul just told us was about three years, now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea, and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Let's just have a quick word of prayer as we consult God's word. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, 
We ask, dear God, for your blessing, for your understanding, indeed, that we may hear your loving kindness in your word today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you a brief um, outline or explanation of the timeline because we read two passages of scripture here that go together. So the first part of Acts chapter 9, we see Saul's conversion. He comes to Christ there on the road to Damascus, spends three days uh, there in, in the city before Ananias comes to him. Then he spends just a, a short period of time preaching in the synagogues in Damascus. Um, we don't know how long, probably not very long at all. Um, but immediately following his conversion, he spends some time there. And that's up to about verse 22. Somewhere between verse 21 and 22 there, before we get to verse 23, somewhere in that timeline there in, in there is where we find this Galatians experience, it would seem, where he spends about three years or up to three years total here in the area of Arabia. So he's gone up north to Damascus. And I meant to put a, a map on your notes, but I forgot. Um, you might have one in the back of your Bible if you find it. So he goes up north, up to Damascus. Um, the area of Arabia he speaks out is, is the Nabataean area. So it, it's that northern area. It may even stretch down as far as Mount Sinai. So in that three years, he may have traveled as far as Mount Sinai, but he'd be in that wilderness uh, there outside of Damascus through that area. He spent uh, uh, some time there, about three years. And so he's there. Having spent that time in the wilderness, he goes back into Damascus and he spends some time there preaching in Damascus again before leaving from there to go down to Jerusalem. Uh, and then he spends only about 15 days in Jerusalem uh, with the church there. And this is how we find. So somewhere between verse 21 and 23 is this time he spends in the wilderness in Arabia. Now, when, when Paul comes to Christ, uh, as we see in the first part of, of chapter 9, the change in Saul is seen immediately. Uh, and, and that's where it begins. Verse 20, it says, immediately he preached. Now, as I said before, don't, don't misunderstand. What he does isn't the most remarkable part of this story, that immediately he goes out and preaches. It's not what he does that's the most remarkable thing, but it's why he does it. Why does he now immediately go out and preach? And the why is because he has a change of heart. There has been a transformation within him that leads him to immediately start to preach the gospel. And so, like I said, so for, for us, the change may look different at the outside, the, the experience, the circumstances of our coming to Christ are going to look different, but in heart, we have the same experience, the same work of God. We see in Paul, the initial traits of his, his belief where he, he is found to be in prayer and full of the Holy spirit uh, fellowshipping with believers and, and being baptized. So there's been a great change since he's been born again. And so this morning, I want to look at five aspects of that great change. So five aspects of the great change, which we see in Paul, which we see in our own lives. One, that there is a new person. There is a new purpose. 
a new people, a new path, and a new prosperity. Those are the five things we're quickly going to run through this morning as we consider this experience in the life of Paul. So let's start here. Firstly, a new person. The transformation that comes from salvation in Jesus Christ creates a new person. Verse 20 says, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And it's come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. When Christ makes this transformation and we become a new person. It is absolutely true. The old me is gone. The old me is gone. Is Paul here the same person as he was before? Yes, he is still the passionate man he was before. He is still driven. He is still intelligent. Those those things that made Paul remarkable before are still there. He is still the same person before but also he's not the same person as before there is something that makes him very different than what he was in the the passage we read before in galatians and in verse 13 he says you know all these things we knew of him beforehand the persecution and the blasphemy and all that he says that was my former conduct he says that's what i used to be that's not who i am now i'm different That person is dead. In Romans chapter 6, Paul writes about the new life that we have. And he says in verse 6, he says, knowing this, that our old man, that is who we were before salvation in Christ, our old man was crucified with Christ. This who we are, that, that part of who we are before Christ is dead, that the body of sin might be destroyed, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Jesus Christ changes my life for the better. Again, in in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. And he's given a list of things that that form the sin in our life and that we we show our sin with. And he says, you know, these old things, just like my life, it's, it's dead and it's gone. And that past is was crucified in Christ. And he says, and so were you. He says, my life is like this, and it was dramatic, and it was amazing. He says, I'm talking to you, and your life was the same. You were sinners before that. Such were some of you, but you were washed, he says. But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That is, our sins are forgiven. Our bondage to sin is broken. We are now sanctified or set apart to God. We are brought into his family. Freed from the condemnation of sin and death. The tyranny of sin no longer reigns in our life. Something remarkably uh, amazing and transforming has happened. Freedom from sin is what fundamentally changes us. The old me is gone. The new me is born. 
Christ comes into our life and we believe him as our savior. The old me is gone and the new me is born. The people are looking at Saul. We see it in verse 21 there. The people look at Saul and they hear him preaching in the synagogues and proclaiming Christ as savior. And they look at him and say, isn't this the guy that was killing all the people in Jerusalem? And isn't that the reason he's here? That's the same guy, right? This, he, it, it looks like him. It sounds like him, but something's different. He's not the same. He's the same guy, it's, it's the, but it's not him. Something has changed. This is why Paul, you know, we read 1 Corinthians 5.17. You're a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We think that's amazing. But think about the man who wrote that. Paul, you know, when he says, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. The people standing there in Damascus in those synagogues are looking at him going, he's a new man. Something is remarkably different about this Saul. That's why Jesus calls salvation being born again. You know, John chapter three, when he's talking to uh, to Nicodemus there at night and he says, you must be born again. Something new has happened, born again by the will and the power of God. It's you, but it's a new you. Galatians chapter one, verse 15. You know, so he's, he said in verse 13, for you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism. But then in verse 15, he says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In his grace, we now reveal Jesus in our life. Something that was not possible before, we can now reveal Jesus in our life. Being a Christian isn't fundamentally about outward appearance. I'm sure it includes some of that and necessitates some of that. But fundamentally, being a Christian is about inward change. What happens in the heart. There's a new person. Secondly, there is new purpose. New purpose. Verse 20 says, immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the son of God. Immediately, it says, he's saved and, and Ananias comes and prays with him and the scales come off his eyes, as it were, and he, he sees and he understands and he learns and he immediately starts proclaiming Jesus Christ as savior. He had, your know, verse 21 says that, you know, they recognize the reason he came. So isn't the purpose he came here to destroy? Well, now his new purpose is to serve Christ, to serve Christ, the focus of his life, the, the purpose of his life, the direction of his life changes completely. Now he's no longer there to bring destruction and death, but now he is there to bring life and encouragement and build up. That change is immediate. Great change that comes in his life is immediate. Saul immediately felt the need to serve Christ. He writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
and verse 16, he says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. From the very moment he began, he felt it, he felt compelled that he needed to serve Christ. Our life, when we come to Jesus Christ, now takes on a new purpose. Why? Why does it have a new purpose from where it was before? Because now we serve a new master. We no longer serve the the cruel and selfish master of sin. But now my life is given to serve the one who gave his life for mine. My life has a new, more glorious reason, more glorious purpose. Now for Saul, in his new purpose to serve Christ, for Saul to serve Christ meant to preach Christ. To serve Christ meant to preach Christ. And he began preaching Christ as the son of God, as the Messiah. Now that that in itself is another remarkable change. Because if you would have talked to him just a few days before, he would have said, if you call Jesus the son of God, if you call Jesus the Messiah, you are blaspheming and I'm going to drag you off to prison. But now he stands before them and he's saying, Jesus is the Christ. He's the Christ. Saul knew the Old Testament. He'd spent his life in pursuit of knowing the Old Testament. He knew the prophecies about the Messiah. He knew what the Old Testament said about the coming of the Messiah. He had given his life in pursuit of knowing who the Messiah was and what to expect. Now, all of that study, all the, everything that he had given his life for now made sense. It made sense to him. The very scriptures that just a few days ago were keeping him from believing Jesus now are full of Jesus. He sees the fulfillment. He sees it differently. Could that happen to the people around us? Think about it. The things that, that seemingly keep people from from believing Jesus, turn out to be something they see full of Jesus? Let's take an easy example. Maybe a scientist or a naturalist who looks at the the way the world works or who looks at the world and, and they see evolution and they don't see any evidence of God, then comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And the very things before that they looked at and said, no, God doesn't exist, Now they see as full of God, full of Jesus. Could that happen to the people around and say, well, I don't see how they can believe everything they look at, the way they see the world, the way they see this thing. They look at it and they say that proves God does not exist. That proves that salvation is not of Jesus. And then God does something remarkable in their life. And the very things we thought they would never see are the things they see full of Jesus. What might his preaching have included when it says that he preached the Christ, that he is the son of God, that he is the the Jesus is the Christ? What might he have preached? Maybe it sounded something like what he wrote in Romans chapter one. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, Paul, a bondservant or a slave or servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Note his use at the beginning there of verse one, when he says, Paul, a bondservant or a slave of Jesus. This wasn't a new message, he says, but this was what was passed on by the prophets. You know, the things that where he used to read the prophets and long for the Messiah. Now he looks at the prophets and he says, this is what they were telling us about. This is what all that of the past was, was about. For, you know, for us, we look at answers for he promised before through the prophets and his holy scriptures. And for us, we, we know that Jesus is an actual historical figure. And Paul is saying, look, he, he's here and this is who he is. He was no ordinary man, but proven to be God by the works that he did through the power of the spirit. His own life, Paul's own life is proof that Jesus is the real savior. Jesus uh, comes and transforms our life. There is a new person. There is a new purpose and there is a new people, a new people. Verse 26 uh, brings us here. So after Paul has, has spent time there preaching in Damascus and he has gone out to the the wilderness in in arabia and he comes back and he he preaches um there is there is trouble he's not there very long and and the one who went there to persecute is now being persecuted and he needs to be uh taken out quietly out of the town so they lower him out of damascus from the wall probably from a, a window in the wall of damascus at night so he can't be seen and uh, he makes his way to Jerusalem. His life is already causing problems. So here, probably some three years after his conversion, he makes his way back to Jerusalem. Here, as we look at what God does in a new people here, we find God using this for our growth in grace. We are growing in grace. Verse 26 says, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. One of the important things that, or the themes of the book of Acts that Luke continually brings through is the importance of gathered people of God, the church. In fact, that's one of the emphasis he puts in verse 31 there about pardon me about the churches but god gathers his people together for the support and encouragement and power in in his work so paul when he had believed he joined himself to the church in damascus and when he went to jerusalem his desire was to join himself to the believers and to the church in jerusalem it's understandable the reluctance that the Jerusalem church had to accept him in, even after this three-year period. They don't know what all had been happening while he was away outside of Damascus in these three years. And it's, it's possible that you know, many of the believers in the church there in Jerusalem had personal experience with the treachery of Saul. 
Maybe they had been imprisoned by him in the years he was there, or maybe they knew someone that was imprisoned or put to death or knew the, the real treachery of Saul. So it is, it, it's not, uh, I guess, outside of our realm of understanding to understand or to think it's going to be hard for the church of Jerusalem to accept this man in. We're reminded here, though, that while a great change does take place in our life at salvation, and it is immediate, it does take place. Some of that inner change, some of the inner change takes time for it to become outward change, for it to make its way into our life and into our practice. We're people of the way, as described at the beginning, meaning as we follow Jesus to salvation, we're also growing in our understanding and our experience of that salvation. The beauty of the church at Jerusalem here is that they do accept Paul. Saul, I keep confusing Saul and Paul, don't I? I'm so used to calling him Paul, but here he's in that old stage. But they accept him. And in fact, not only do they accept him, as we see as we come to the end of the passage, they actually encourage him and they help him and they support him. The church at Jerusalem would become a place that is very dear to the heart of Saul throughout his his life. These new people were growing in grace and showing grace. The church is reluctant at first to draw him in. And so it says in verse 27, but Barnabas, and we remember Barnabas from earlier in Acts because he was a man who had a big heart, who was willing to give of what he had for the support of others. He was given the name Barnabas because of his encouragement. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. The church learns a lesson in grace by following the lead of Barnabas. Barnabas takes him in and and the church learns to show grace. We may not think we can make a difference in the world. Maybe we're not gifted speakers or we don't have a big influence. Two men in Acts chapter 9 make a huge impact in the believers and in the churches here simply by pursuing to be Christ-like. The testimony of Ananias in Damascus and Barnabas in Jerusalem are both quiet but powerful. The impact of your life may be greater than you think. There is power in the ordinary walk of faith by simply pursuing to be Christ-like, by living out what we know and how we pursue to be like Jesus can make a larger impact in this world than we imagine. Barnabas did not know what God had in mind for Saul, but he knew enough to show grace. And that grace made a huge difference. Ananias didn't was reluctant at first, but followed and obeyed, made a big difference. The service, the encouragement, the guidance you give as you follow Jesus can make a huge difference 
in the life of others and in the life of this church. There is a new person. There is a new purpose. There is a new people. And fourthly, there is a new path. Verse 29, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed among, against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Verse 29 is, is astounding, really, isn't it? Because now we're back to where it all started. This is back where it started, back in Jerusalem, in the synagogue with the Hellenists. Saul's visit to Jerusalem here is short. In chapter 1 of Galatians and verse 18, he tells us he only spent 15 days there. So he comes in and he is brought into the fellowship of the church through, through Barnabas. He meets, uh, it seems he only meets Peter and James. So James, the brother of Christ, who is the leader of the church, uh, and meets them spend some time with them, spend some time in the church and spend some time in the synagogue of the Hellenists preaching Christ. So it's a short visit. And in that 15 days, he makes quite a stir. But we've come full circle, haven't we? Because when we first meet Saul, it's here in the synagogue of the Hellenists. Only back then when we met him, back at the end of chapter seven, he is there and he is probably one of the Hellenists who is arguing with Stephen about Christ being the Messiah. And then because Stephen preaches that Christ is the Messiah, he stands there approvingly to see Stephen stoned for the very thing he is doing right now. He is now back standing in the place of Stephen, preaching the message of Stephen. It's amazing how God works and how God brings him all the way round back to here. And we see the work of God. In one sense, it doesn't appear as if the work, uh, if his preaching is working. Because he comes back there and he comes into the synagogue of the Hellenists. And, and despite his, his massive ability and his unique intelligence to be able to confound them, just like Stephen did they still get angry and they don't believe again. Their hearts are so hard, they refuse to believe. And so like Stephen, they plot to kill him. But perhaps like Stephen, the impact Saul had there that day is unknown. You don't know who else in that synagogue may have been convinced because Saul stood up to preach the gospel. Although that's where it all started, we see here that it moves us to where we must go to where we must go. It seems wherever Saul goes, and later as known as Paul, wherever he seems to go, trouble follows. You know, he'll be somewhere and get stoned or stir up a city, city into a complete uproar. Everywhere he goes, he seems to bring trouble. While he is there, though, a plot is uncovered to kill him. Now, the disciples, he says here, the disciples learn of it and they probably have. But in Acts chapter 22, when, when uh, Saul is giving his, his account of this, he says that while he was praying in the temple, God came to him and told him. In fact, oh, let me read that for you. Acts chapter 22, find that, verse 17. So Acts chapter 22 and verse 17 says, Now it happened. 
When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him, that is Jesus, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, pardon me, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. God made it known to Saul this plot that was about to come upon him. Saul's past is going to make it hard to minister in Jerusalem and Judea. He recognized that. And that's what he says. says, They know who I am. They know what I did. They're not going to listen. And God knew that. That's why he said this. And so he gives him his commission in verse 19 and 20 there of Acts chapter 22. And he reminds him, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. I'm sending you to take the gospel further. The church is persecuted because of him again. So before he's saved, he's the one persecuting the church. Now he comes back preaching Christ. And because he's preaching Christ, the church is persecuted because of him. He's causing problems and for different reasons this time. But remember, God has a purpose for Saul. He's going to be sent to the Gentiles. That's what Ananias was told. God confirms this to Saul again. It says in verse 31, then the churches throughout all Judea, Notice where they are. Churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. Right? The churches in these areas, this, the first step of the Great Commission is established. When Jesus passed on his, his message of what they wanted to do, he says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria. The first part of the Great Commission is established. There's churches in all of these areas now. Now it's time for the gospel to go beyond, for churches to be established in the world. And this is where God is going. The purpose of God is being pushed. The kingdom is advancing. Now it's time to reach the world. And it's still time to reach the world. We have, as we look here, we have a new person, a new purpose, a new people, a new path, and finally, a new prosperity. As we've seen in verse 31 there, God's people have peace. Verse 31, where he says, then the churches, that word churches has an emphasis on people, not place or building. The people of God. Where we are or where we meet doesn't define us. We are defined by who we are. A people of the way. A people whose lives have been changed. A people who are bound together in Christ. We noted last week that in saving Saul, God was also protecting his people. So with Saul not leading the persecution... And God moving in the circumstances politically through the area, the church has some rest. It's not a permanent rest, but some rest. 
In the face of trials, they don't abandon God, but they walk faithfully. So we should. God gave them comfort in their affliction. And this gave God's people peace. In times of trouble, we can have peace, keep walking with God, and God will comfort us in our trials. God's people have peace. God's people are strengthened. It says then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied, edified. God's work in his people isn't just about surviving. It's not just about keeping, keeping them there. You know, we talk about the remnant as, as, if, as if God just has this, this one little bit in the world, which he's, he's just trying to keep his movement alive. But God's purpose and God's work isn't just about having his people just survive, but to thrive. To thrive and to, to edify. He says through this, they were edified. That is, they were strengthened. They were built up and they multiplied multiplied and we're strong as we walk together with god we encourage each other we strengthen each other as we minister god's grace to one another and the disciples were multiplied times of trouble don't mean that god is not working even during times of persecution throughout history when the believers have had to hide you know, i remember as a, a, a just a well, preteen, i think i read a book about the, the early Christians in Rome who had to hide underneath the city in the catacombs, all the, the tunnels and the places underneath the city uh, of Rome and in the Roman Empire. And despite the hiding, because they were under great persecution, despite the, the troubles they had, believers kept coming. People kept getting saved. And they were multiplied. Throughout history, God has always strengthened his church in times of trouble and in times of persecution. Does God really transform lives? I mean, really, genuinely transform lives. Everyone that believes, every believer have this this transformation, this remarkable turbocharged transformation that comes in that makes us new immediately. Maybe, maybe for some, what God does is just tweaking us a little bit. This is why we don't see these big changes. Maybe just a little correction. No. When God saves, he radically transforms us. Every one of us. Every one of us are radically transformed into the people of God. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16. Paul says, however, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. He says, my life is an example. I'm an example of what God does, the radical change, the, the transformation that God did in Paul is an example of what God does in all of us. True, outwardly, it may not be as dramatic. It may not be as as fantastic, but inwardly, it is no less miraculous. What God did in your life and in my life is no less 
remarkable, is no less miraculous than what he did in Saul. It's the same work of God's transformation. God makes us new. There has been a great change in you. Sometimes the longer we're believers, we begin to forget the difference Christ made in us. We we see where we're at now and perhaps we struggle or wonder, I'm not really changing. We forget what God has done through our whole life and we forget the great change that God has done within us. You are a new person with a new purpose and a new path to follow. You are no longer servants of self, but of your savior. Are we compelled to serve Christ and to preach Christ like Paul? He began immediately. And that, that compelling, that desire to preach Christ, to serve Christ, never left him. If not, what's hindering us right now? What, is, what needs to be rekindled in our life? Say right now, that passion, that compelling isn't here. I've lost sight of the change that God has made in me and the purpose and the path and the people that God has set in my life. What needs rekindling? You are a new person with a new purpose and a new path to follow, gathered with new people to grow in grace and to show grace. Your ministry to us in grace and Christ-likeness will have significant and eternal effects. How we relate to one another does make a huge difference in our lives with one another. Your ministry to us in every way, big or small, builds us up and strengthens us. You are a new person with a new purpose and a new path to follow, gathered with new people in pursuit of these things God will prosper us. God will prosper his people. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great example and testimony of the life of Saul that we can see and what it teaches us and encourages us in about your, your work in us, that you truly do transform us, that we are new people with a new purpose. So help us to walk this path with faithfulness and with courage and with strength. That we are filled with a compelling desire to serve and preach Christ. We thank you for the opportunity we have had to gather today. And may we be encouraged by you and by one another. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.